According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we're in Philippians 4. This morning, we're looking at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And uh, for some folks, about two years ago, three years ago, when, when did we start this? When we announced that we were going to begin a series in the book of Philippians, uh, folks were excited about Philippians 4.13, about I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's been their favorite Bible verse since they were a kid. And, and well, here we are. You've been looking forward to it. You've been very patient. We've gone through, I don't even know how many classes in Philippians. It looks like this morning is number 176. And so uh, here we are looking at the book of uh, Philippians. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, asking our Father for His faithfulness as we study to show ourselves approved. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the blessings that you supply again and again, Father. Morning by morning, your mercies are renewed. Great is thy faithfulness. And we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of the Word of God and the, the, the privilege that it is to study. Father, we thank you that it's a command, and yet we're delighted to obey the command, Father, because every time we look, we just learn more and more, and it's so beautiful, Father, in, uh, in the way you feed us, the way you provide for us, the way you open our eyes to the things that we need. And Father, we call upon your faithfulness now this morning in the, the uh, promise that we have here that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So help us to understand what this is about so we don't misapply it, we don't abuse it. We want to be faithful, Father, in your design. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so in looking at the expression here about the I can do, the uh, first thing we want to recognize is that uh, there's no Greek word for I can do in the sense that it speaks to power. I am able or I am strong is uh, is really the aspect of strength that we're looking at here. And it comes back to all of the idioms that are found from verse 11 to verse 12 to verse 13. They're not separated from one another, we want to recognize. And so taking these these Greek verbs as they would be given to the recipients, the Philippians wouldn't have had any problem with it, it's just us having a problem with it, trying to take these Greek imperatives and bring them uh, bring them across into the English language. And so... Um, talking about circumstances. Uh, verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So those circumstances are just the things we're dealing with, the things we have in life. And maybe if we just keep using the word thing, we'll be fine. You know, like Dr. Seuss and his thing one and thing two, uh, let's just have things that we're dealing with. And whether it's thing one or thing two, God's faithful. And uh, that's what we're looking at. And so whatever things I'm dealing with, I know how to, and here is again, this get along. There's no verb there for get along. The verb is dealing with being humbled. I know how to be humbled. But they put this little helpful expression in there to try to convey it across in English. I know how to get along. And uh, we want to identify this so we don't get tripped up. Um, I also know how to live. There's no verb for live there. It's a verb for abounding. 
how to live in prosperity. And so really if we, if we kind of simplify, I think if we streamline the English and just try to convey in a literal sense what the verbs are actually saying, it would be a passive voice of being humbled, it would be an active voice of abounding. I know how to be humbled, I, know, I also know how to abound. And just leave it at that. Keep it as simple as we can without trying to amplify things. Because here's the issue, as we're amplifying things, as we're turning things into circumstances, and as we're um, amplifying the, the humility and the abounding into uh, get along and how to live, uh, then we got more circumstances in verse 12, and then we have uh, I can do all things in verse 13. And that all things seems different in the English than the circumstances, the get-along, the how-to-live, the circumstances. Uh, and all of a sudden it just says all things and people get excited and say, wow, I can do anything I want to do. I can do all things. Because the all things jumps out at you in verse 13. It shouldn't jump out at you in verse 13. You should be taking it in stride because you've already been dealing with it in verse 11 and verse 12 that the all things are talking about every circumstance. The all things are talking about the, the circumstances of life, where you are. Sickness, that's a thing. Health, that's a thing. Poverty, that's a thing. Wealth, that's a thing. And all these other things we deal with in the, in the health spectrum, in the prosperity, in the, the financial uh, spectrum, everything else uh, is just a thing. And in all things, we, can, we are strong. In all things, we have strength. We have ability, we have competence, which is what it comes down to, and then where the point of study has taken it here. And so framing, um, this was point two in the outline, framing the personal financial spectrum as a context for contentment. That's what we want to do. It is a context for contentment. And that's true for the, the financial spectrum, the health spectrum, any other spectrum you want to talk about in daily life. And things that we all, they're common to man. They're common to just living in this world. And so uh, whether uh, I'm on the one end or the other end or somewhere in between, I'm the, I'm the wealthiest guy in town or I'm the poorest church mouse around, whatever the case is, I can be content and I should be content. I'm not going to be blaming God for not giving me enough. That's malcontent, right? Or discontent. I'm going to thank Him for where He's placed me and be content with where He's placed me. I'm going to be faithful where He's placed me. And so all the issues of contentment that we deal with here. Now we have learning, we have knowing, and we have, uh, uh, as it says, learning the secret or being initiated into the mysteries of uh, of this, being filled and going hungry. In other words, whatever my daily circumstances are, uh, I'm content because I'm in the will of God. I'm in His hands. And so I have contentment. We go from contentment then to competency in verse 13. And so this was point three in the outline. This mindset is not only a contentment, but also a competence. And so this now becomes the flip side of the coin, all right? So not only do I have a mental attitude that's content, that's a mindset, but my mindset also includes the competency, the ability, the strength. And so I presently continuously have strength. That's how I'd prefer to render this in the English in verse 13. Rather than I can do all things, I presently continuously have strength 
for all conditional circumstances of personal life. All conditional circumstances of personal life. Wherever he puts me on the spectrum, financially, health-wise, or any other thing that we're talking about. For all conditional circumstances of personal life. And I've got strength. Why? Because he continually endues me with his power. In the one presently continuously enduing me with power. He's constantly enduing me. And so far as he endues me, I continuously have strength. They, they're, they're connected, in other words. The passive tense of being endued is, is, is matched up with the active sense of having strength. And you can't separate them. And so this is what we're looking at here. And we really have two verbs, and this is where we ran out of time on Wednesday, what we're getting back to here this morning is both of these uh, verbs, an active voice and a passive voice. And uh, one verse, I guess, to show you both of them in the same verse. So it's kind of useful in that regard. But remember, in the active voice of a verb, the subject accomplishes the activity. The subject does it. In the passive voice, the subject doesn't do it. The subject of the verb, it's being done to him. He receives the activity of the verb. And then, of course, Greek has a middle voice. A middle voice is, is kind of a blend of the two whereby the subject accomplishes the action but then also has a, uh, an interest in the result, also has a participation in the, uh, the effects or the result of that. And so we have the issue there. Anybody know Ron Merriman? Pastor Ron Merriman? He's been in the ministry for 50 years or longer. Nobody knows what you know Ron Merriman. Okay, you do. All right kind of a legend in doctrinal circles, but uh, Ron Merriman, uh, I'll never forget, he was 80-something years old, and, and uh, <laughs> when he was teaching active voice, passive voice, middle voice, uh, the way he put it out there was, he says, I always kiss my wife in the middle voice. <laughs> and then it gradually dawned on people what he said as it filtered through the room, and then folks with faster Greek skills laughed at it faster than other folks, but the idea that the active participant accomplishes the activity, but also receives the benefit of the effects and has an interest in the results. All right. Well, what we have here is an active voice with having strength uh, connected to a passive voice of being endued with strength, of being empowered. And so it shouldn't surprise us that it happens this way. Through him, he who, the one who, continuously, because it is present tense, continuously keeps enduing me with power. This is an endowment. He is enduing us with this power. All right. And so effectively then, what I think is useful is to stop and to ask ourselves, what is this kind of power about? Is this like a, uh, a comic book? Uh, am I turning into Spider-Man? Is this a superpower? Uh, is, is God giving me superpowers? Can I, can I run faster than a spinning bullet? Can I leap tall buildings with a single bound? What can I do? You know, uh, should I become a hero and say, well, I can do all things? That's a misapplication of the text. The text is talking about my contentment and my competency, the strength he supplies for all personal circumstances of daily life. And that's, uh, that's the issue here. All right. Now, in uh, the verb eskuo, I'll just briefly repeat a little bit of Wednesday, but the verb is eschuo, the first verb, the active voice verb is eschuo, I-S-C-H-U-O, eschuo. It has 28 uses in the New Testament, along with the noun iskus has 10 uses. 
So we've got a verb for to have strength. Um, also, sometimes it's in a health aspect as opposed to weakness, but we'll let that go for now. Just to have strength uh, or to be strong. And then the noun for strength, iskus. And then um, the noun is used 10 times while the verb is used 28 times. Beyond that, there are six other expressions, six other expressions connected to iskuo. And this is where sometimes you want to branch out beyond a particular... Let me make this larger for you here. You want to branch out beyond a particular verb or a particular term and realize that there's a whole family of expressions that all come with, within the same etymological root. All right, And so when you look at the root of iskus, you have that here. Is that large enough for the back row commandos? All right. And so this is the iskus root. And uh, the iskuo verb it, like I say, there's only 28 uses, but altogether there's 75 uses through the New Testament that include the entire range of this of this family, including uh, iskoros, the adjective for strong or powerful. Uh, there's 28 there. The noun iskus has 10 uh, for strength or might. The compound, look at all these compounds. You take kata or dia or n or x or epi. All of those prefixes are being attached in front of Iskus or iskuo, all right? And so you have kat iskuo, to be dominant, and there's uh, three uses there. Di, which is dia plus iskuo. Uh, di iskurudzimai, that's a middle voice verb, uh, with two uses there. N in front of iskuo, with uh, two uses there. X with iskuo, the exo prefix, uh, with one use, and the epi uh, prefix with one use. And so all of those together then actually give you a total of 75 different places in the New Testament whereby you can survey on an inductive basis, you can survey the entire route and, uh, and learn what the, the Bible has to say about this particular aspect. All right, in this case the aspect of strength. The idea of strength and where does it come from and how do we maintain it and what is the use of strength in the different ways that we have there. All right. And so on Wednesday, we did look through, uh, the, we got a start on the ISCU terms. We looked at Luke 11 and Luke 16. Uh, we looked at Acts 19. And uh, we left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so uh, I think we can not repeat those this morning and, uh, and gain some ground on that. But because I would, I'd get, I love the Acts 16, Acts 19 story with the demoniac and the strength and the, the things there. What we're going to learn though is that strength is, is, is better than being weak, right? In, in earthly terms, I mean, would you rather be strong or would you rather be weak? In spiritual terms though, we realize that both are true. That only when we are weak will we then truly be strong. And that's the, that's the paradox. That's the conundrum. Or sometimes you might think of it as the oxymoron of Christian truth. The fact that only in the times that we are weak will God then be perfecting that kind of strength. And uh, we saw that on that slide there when we were looking uh, at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul wanted that thorn of the flesh to be gone, and God answered him three times, no, 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 quit asking, right? The, the, the fact is, is that when you are weak, then strength will be perfected, then you will be strong. And so this is what hopefully we're going to gather today uh, in looking at all these places of strength and looking at all these places of power 
that when God is empowering us, how strong are we? Okay, well, as strong as we need to be, as strong as He wants us to be, because uh, he, he pours all power into us, as we're going to see here in Ephesians. All right. So, um, like I say, we, we did Luke 11, Luke 16, Acts 19 on Wednesday night. If you missed that, you can go get those MP3s that are just sitting there. Let's start with uh, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 and see some more of these Escuo terms. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 is a prayer context, much as uh, chapter 3 is a prayer context. So many of these strengthening uh, pow- uh, empowerment terms center on our prayer life. And so in Ephesians 1, 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. And we're going to have dunamis power as well as eskuo strength right here in the same verse. In fact, we've got three uh, power terms in this verse. So there's his power towards us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might the iskus of his might. And so uh, we see it here. It's the strength that we want to exhibit in our Christian walk. What kind of strength do you want to exhibit in your health test, in your financial test, in your relationship test, in whatever test you've got going on at the moment? You don't want it to be your strength. You want it to be God's strength. Your strength is going to fall short. It's going to wear out. It's going to expire. His strength never runs out. So we want to be strong in the strength of his might, as it says. So that's Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. The imperative is be strong. Again, it's a passive voice. Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Don't make yourself strong. Don't impress God with your own strength. Be strengthened. As it says, in the Lord, in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So let me ask you, without his armor, can you stand firm against the devil's schemes? Of course not. Without his strength, can you stand firm against the devil's uh, schemes? Of course not. None of us can. None of us are strong enough in ourselves. In ourselves, we, uh, we just don't cut it. But in him, there it is. We have all strength. In the strength of his might. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. You know, and then when it comes to human willpower and human strength and things we think we can endure and whatever, um, you know, all right, human willpower can overcome some things. I get that, but we're dealing with demonic powers. We're dealing with Satan himself and the and the energy that comes in in realms that are far beyond humanity, far more glorious, far more powerful than humanity. Our strength just isn't going to cut it in that regard. And so uh, we deal with it there, all right? Philippians 4, 13, of course, that's our passage today. I have all strength through the one continuously enduing me with his power. James five sixteen. <coughs> James five sixteen is a is a prayer passage. So many of these are prayer passages.
Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man is uh, strong, iskuo, can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man is strong for much. We have strength and much of this, our strength comes through prayer. Giving the example of Elijah in the context there. So, you know, if you think about it, in physical terms, if you're feeling kind of puny, uh, you know, you what do you do? You eat better, you, you hit the gym, you exercise more. Uh, in, uh, in spiritual terms, when you're feeling kind of puny, what do you do? You go to prayer. That's right, you go to prayer. Of course, you want, still want to eat right, which means you continue your study of the Word of God, you continue your intake of the Word of God. don't want to stop your nutrition. But uh, the gym, our gym is, is, is the, the holy place. Our gym is to get to the Lord in prayer and to, uh, to ask for His strength, to ask for His, his uh, empowerment, the continuous dunamis, dynamite power that He's going to pour into each one of us. 1 Peter 4.11 1 Peter 4.11. The answer, of course, is not to just double up on your meals and never get to the gym. What happens if you eat twice the, what, twice the calorie intake and then you never exercise it? You never use it. And then you never hit the gym. And then you wonder why your armor doesn't fit. You know, that army uniform you used to wear all those years ago, it doesn't fit either. All right. 1 Peter 4. In the use of spiritual gifts, verse 10 says, as each one has received a gift. I don't know why people think it's even debatable as to whether they have a spiritual gift or not. Are you kidding me? Everybody has at least one. Guaranteed. Or the Bible's a lie. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. You've got a gift, use it. And use it to serve your fellow believers in, in Christ. Employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you neglect your gift and don't put it to use, if you defy the purpose for why God gave you a gift, uh, you're not a faithful steward. It's required of stewards to be faithful. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. And so Peter kind of does a simple, simplified breakdown on spiritual gifts, not the, the very developed uh, treatment that Paul gives it. But uh, Peter just simply takes spiritual gifts as a broad category and he breaks them down into two divisions. He says, some of us are speakers and some of us are servers. And uh, so he just takes the whole doctrine of spiritual gifts and lays it out there in two broad categories, the speaking category and the serving category. And so we'll just let it go at that this morning, recognizing, of course, that uh, speakers still serve and servers still speak when, uh, when called upon in their individual applications. All right, but whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so, notice now, through the strength, by the strength which God supplies. The iskus. Don't try to use your spiritual gift with your own strength. It's not why He gifted you with it. The whole, the, your spiritual gift is a manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. His empowerment. So serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Understand that. If you use your own strength, then who gets the glory? 
You know, you did it. Wow, you're great. I'm impressed. God did it. Oh, wow, God's great. I'm impressed. I should be impressed with God. I want to praise Him. I want to worship God for what He's done. I don't want to be impressed with what a person can do. So that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It belongs to Him. And if you try to take it, that's just theft, glory theft. You're trying to steal the glory for yourself. How dare you? What do you think you're trying to do? So quit with the human effort, accept the strength He supplies, and uh, give, give God the glory for all things. 1 John 2 and verse 14. I mean, these verses practically preach themselves. Aren't they simple? All right. Here's the Apostle John writing his first epistle. And he's writing to a broad spectrum of believers in various stages of their Christian growth. And he calls them fathers and children and young men. So when he says in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men. That's the middle group. They're no longer children, but they're not yet fathers. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I ha- so there's the I am writing, I am writing, I am writing. Then it's followed by three, I have written, I have written, I have written. So uh, I have written to you children because you know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young man. Now here's where our term comes in. Because you are strong. Iskus. You are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. And there you have it. This, I think, is uh, much as on the last slide we were looking at John 15, abiding in Christ, abiding in the vine, bearing fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Same principle applying here in 1 John 2. Abiding in the Word of God. If the Word of God abides in you, how strong are you? Well, how strong is the Word of God? (laughs) You know, like Popeye and his spinach, you've got the truth. How strong are you? All right, so those are the strength terms. Those are the strength terms. And there's plenty of them, all right? And the strength terms uh, are available. And if we, if we have seasons where we think uh, we're deficient in that regard, then they're even more available just for the asking. Go to the Father in prayer and ask, and uh, we can appreciate that. We're never going to have a strength deficiency whereby we can blame God for dropping the ball. We can blame Him for not giving us enough strength, for not empowering us sufficiently because He has promised to always empower us sufficiently. And uh, that then becomes, I think, the, uh, really the true confession when we want to start blaming uh, you know, our inability to do something. Or we want to run to the human carnality in uh, language of I can't. And uh, the human carnality language of I can't has no business in, uh, for church-age saints in fellowship that uh, our language is not I can't, our language is I can I can do all things. I have all strength. And uh, the I can't is, is only through negative volition and carnality. All right. So that's the strength side of things. Then comes the power side of things. And on the power side of things, it's passive voice. The power doesn't come from us. We receive it. The power comes from God. He endues us. And even in uh, dunamao, if you think of an endowment or an endue, if you endue somebody, um, 
It's, it's just archaic language. We don't use it in common speech. We don't use endow except maybe, uh, I don't know, in somebody's will maybe or somebody. Uh, or if, uh, if somebody has put the, the real flowery uh, Anglican language in their wedding service, you know, with, with my worldly goods I thee endow, um, things like that. Uh, but I do like endunamao because it just resonates with the English language. It sounds like endow. And that's what we're talking about. Seven uses. Seven uses, so we can see all seven of them. But the, the, t- the ten words that come from that dunamao root, let me show you what this one's about. This too comes with a family. All right. Here's dunamai in the New Testament. There's dunamai in the Septuagint. And here's the root family. Look at all these terms. Here's a family reunion. 390 uses including, of course, the root verb there, dunamai, the noun dunamis, which is a feminine noun for power, uh, 119 uses there, the adjective dunatos for able or powerful, able, possible, uh, impossible, we put an alpha in front of dunatos, you get adunatos for impossible. Usually the adunatos is connected with a, with a not. Nothing is impossible for God. And if nothing is impossible, then that's just a, a double negative way of saying everything is possible and, and God has all power. En dunamao, what we're looking at this morning with its seven uses there. Dunastes. You ever wonder what a dynasty is? A dunastes. Well, that's a thing of power. A dynast is a sovereign. The king has all the power. Dunateo. Another verb related to dunamai, but usually in an active voice, to be powerful, to be able. Ah, dunateo negates that. Dunamao is uh, like a uh, uh, conveyance of power to make somebody else strong. You're not strengthening yourself, you're strengthening somebody else. And then kata, dunastuo. There's a mouthful. It's a verb of exploitation or you use your power over somebody else to keep them down. That's uh, not a good thing. <laughs> All right? But hey, in the world we live in, uh, that's kind of, we expect it, right? That's kind of how the world operates. So there's the, there's the family of terms there. All right, so 10 different words from the uh, Dunamai root have 390 uses in the New Testament. And uh, that also becomes a useful survey to work our way through. We're not looking at all 390 of them this morning. We're just looking at the ones you see on the screen. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right? And we'll look at those. For power, Acts 9.22. Acts 9. What do you think of when you think of Acts 9? This is uh, uh, Damascus Road. This is Saul of Tarsus on his way to Damascus. <coughs> and of course, the light shines and Paul is blinded and Ananias is sent. And, uh, and he takes food and he is strengthened. Again, it's a passive voice there to be strengthened. And then for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the Son of God. Remember, he has a foundation of Old Testament truth that puts everybody else to shame. He's top of his class in his scholarship. He's just misdirected in his understanding. 
And so to get an adjustment there, now he's able to take all of his his uh, scholarship, all of his knowledge, and actually uh, put it to the right application. And so he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. And all hearing him continued to be amazed as they were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who has come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? They knew what his mission was about. They were expecting him to be successful in that mission. It's going to make their life easier in the Damascus synagogue. Then verse 22 says, but Paul kept increasing in strength. He kept being endowed with the God's dunamis. He kept being endunamaod, as it were. And uh, I think this is going to bear out too as we see in the different applications. The endowment comes through ministry pursuits. All right, if you stop your ministry pursuit, uh, don't be shocked when the endowment likewise uh, stops. So he's He's speaking out. He's pursuing ministry. He's engaged with the Word of God. He is, he is uh, pursuing this ministry pursuit and the, and the endowment continues. He kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Romans 4 and verse 20. And so, in the uh, discussion of Abraham and uh, what the walk of faith is all about, <clears throat> all right, I, I guess pick up in verse uh, 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so we're going to follow after the faith of Abraham when we walk by faith in our Christian walk. Verse 18 says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And so he's got a promise. This isn't about getting saved. He's already a believer. He has eternal life. Okay, Not about getting saved, but this is about claiming the promises. This is about living your Christian walk on a daily basis while you're waiting to see certain promises fulfilled. And God had said, so shall your descendants be. God had said he was going to have descendants. And uh, Abraham, you know, is not is kind of old and Sarah's kind of old and that's not been a feature of their marriage for some time. But without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body now as good as dead. He's got a certain deadness there, and this is before Viagra, that they didn't have back in the 3rd century, no, what I'm talking about, 2000 BC, all right? Also the deadness of Sarah's womb. How many years was she past menopause in, in that regard? Well, you know, she hadn't exactly been on... on uh, any kind of a cycle for decades probably. Anyway, yet with respect to the promise of God, here we go, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. See, what happens if you just decide to just go carnal and stay carnal and, and be thinking about all the problems everywhere? 
Well, that's wavering in unbelief. That's a believer that's not walking by faith. And uh, Paul here in Romans says, Abraham didn't do that. He didn't waver in unbelief. When you stop walking by faith, you're wavering in unbelief. When you go carnal, you're wavering in unbelief. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is faith. So if you're wavering in unbelief, you're carnal, you're out of fellowship, and you just keep recycling through yourself every problem you have. And why? This doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and this doesn't work, and there's no answer. Well, without respect to, yeah, I mean, he could have done that. He could have said, well, I'm old, and Sarah's old, and I'm impotent, and she's, you know, and I could have gone through all of that, but he didn't. Instead, he just walked by faith, okay? And so he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So he was endued, endued with God's power, giving glory to God being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. If ultimately, this is the faith rest drill. Pastor Theme taught this, that you claim the promise and you let it go. And you just say, okay, Lord, you said this. You don't need my help making it happen. <laughs> you kind of put yourself on the hook there, God. You, you said it. You got to do it. And I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh when you do it because this is, this is funny to me. I, I'm, I'm amazed that that, uh, that you're going to do something like this that's so beyond the realm of, of what we can do. So uh, above, you know, uh, what a you know, tiny flock like this can do with a budget like ours. It's just amazing what God does uh, in, uh, in, his, uh, in His plan and program. All right. What God has promised, He's also able to perform. And so there it is. Claim the promise and watch how much power pours into you on that, uh, on that basis. Of course, Philippians 4.13 is our passage today. I can do all things to the one continuously in doing me with his power. This is what God does. Ephesians 6.10 we already saw. Be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. That's what God does. He endues us with his power. 1 Timothy 1.12. Here's a new one. 1 Timothy 1.12. Oh, Timothy, Timothy, where'd you go? There you are. My flipper's getting slow this morning. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me, en dunamao, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Again, notice the connection with the endowment and ministry pursuits. All right. And, uh, you know, for believers that kind of view the Christian way of life as a spectator sport, they kind of view it as, uh, well, you know, other people serve. I just sit. I just listen. Well, wait a minute. We are all called to service. We all have giftedness. We all have ministry. We're called to pursue. We all have effects that the Father would achieve in and through us for His good pleasure. That it's uh, not a spectator sport where you're, you know, watching football players on a field and go, well, I could never do that. No, you're on the field. We're all on the field. We're all expected to participate in the Christian walk. And why is it that we keep seeing this endowment of power that's being poured into ministers as we see here? I uh, thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. The idea that he's pouring his power into you to do nothing with it 
is the idea that he's enduing you with all of this, you know, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Why is he pouring all this into you for you to do nothing with? All right. No, he's empowering you for a purpose. He's empowering you with infinite power to accomplish his good pleasure. And he expects you to run with endurance that race that's set before you. 2 Timothy 2.1 You therefore, my son, be strengthened, be empowered, be endued with God's strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's the only way Timothy is going to have a successful ministry. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And if Timothy is going to have a training ministry and pass those things on to other men in the way Timothy trained under Paul, and you can imagine, because we don't know their names. The, the New Testament is closed and finished, and we never really learn who Timothy's disciples were, who were the pastors that trained up under Timothy. But you can just imagine that uh, you know they traveled with him, they sat at his feet, they learned from him. And I imagine they wanted to hear stories about Paul. <laughs> you know, Tell us how Paul trained you. you know? And so he would tell Paul stories, but then he would tell Timothy stories, because he'd say, you know what? I'm strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this is what I learned from Paul. He learned from Paul that you can't be strong in your own strength. He learned from Paul that when I'm weak and then I'm strong, that Paul struggled with it. And Paul was honest with Timothy about what his struggles were. And Timothy was honest, I assume, because based on this verse, that he's going to be honest with the men that he's training. I want to be honest with the men I'm training. I don't want them to have these illusions that, you know, the ministry is this big glamorous life of grandeur and whatever suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there you have it. You're going to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might? Well, here you go. So it's called hardship. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And He will empower you. He will keep empowering you to, uh, to pursue these ministry things. Chapter 4 and verse 17 is the last of these uses. context for this goes back to verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. Because if uh, Timothy doesn't get there in time, it's pretty lonely. Luke is the last one left. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, when you're under maximum testing and you want to have the maximum empowerment from God and you have want to have the maximum prayer endeavors, uh, you know, you end up with... Uh, uh, pretty small prayer meetings when it's just you and Luke. <laughs> okay. For for Jesus, he had Peter, James, and John at least, but they kept falling asleep. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me, gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. And we don't presume that they were all wrong for where they were. We think he sent these guys to these different places. I expect Titus was supposed to go to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So that kind of narrows down who his scribe was, who was the amanuensis that was writing this book. It's the reason why the pastorals have a different tone than some of Paul's other writings, because he's using a different scribe for these. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when you um, come, bring the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. You know, what does he need? He's going to die. What does he care about the books? Well... Because each day that he's alive is one more day to keep working, one more day to keep reading, one, one day to keep writing. 
All right. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. And he was, uh, he was an adversary for Paul. He's going to be an ad- adversary for uh, Timothy. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May I not be counted against them. That's a tough test. You're facing the abandonment, the desertion. Nobody knows, nobody cares. Where are they? They're all gone. But just like Jesus on the cross, Father, hold it. they know not what they do. Just like Stephen, as he was getting stoned, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Here's Paul. May I not be counted against them. We're supposed to stand with one another and bear one of those burdens. We're supposed to weep with those who weep. We're supposed to identify with one another in our afflictions because all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And this crowd said, oh, Paul, those are yours. We're out of here. All right. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And Dunamao poured his power into the apostle Paul so that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. See, without that, is strength ever perfected? Without weakness, is strength ever perfected? Would the proclamation be fully accomplished without this kind of empowerment? That all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. (laughs) Daniel wasn't the only one, right? In the lion's den. There's Paul in a Roman Colosseum, and here come the lions. God's empowerment was there. Hope that's on DVD. I want to see that replay. I think he dealt with lions at Ephesus and he dealt with lions at Rome. On at least two occasions he had uh, wild beasts that he was spared from. All right. So this is what we deal with. And this is what we deal with in our Christian walk. Whatever it is he calls for us to do. And the the circumstances and details of life, financially, health-wise, every other part of, of daily life, personal life, that uh, we have His strength, and so we are strong. We have the mindset of contentment, and we have the, the empowerment for competency. The empowerment for competency. All right, which gets us now to verses 14 through 17. Back to Philippians 4, 14 through 17. Yes, I can do all things, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Okay, you've done well. So I can do all things, nevertheless, even without your help, his grace is sufficient, his power is sufficient, but when your grace arrived, man, it's grace upon grace and and celebration all the more. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me, to fellowship with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. You know, for a missionary who's got support coming from multiple churches, kind of normal. It's the way they've been doing it since the first century. They still do it to this day. You know, we're not the only church that's supporting uh, Jim and Phyllis Myers or Ralph and Cindy LaRosa or any of the, the missionaries that we support. They're drawing support from multiple local churches and other places. But imagine if those start to dwindle. If you had 10 churches, then 8 churches, then 4 churches, then 2 churches, what if you dropped to your final church? And that's what it says here. 
that uh, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. They were the final church supporting the Apostle Paul. And then they stopped. (laughs) Right? They stopped. They lacked opportunity. They stopped for, for that season. All right. But even in Macedonia, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And that's the aspect here. All right. So point four in the outline. Although Paul can function contentedly without the Philippian support, it is a good thing for them to share his affliction. Although Paul can function contentedly without the Philippian support, it is a good thing for them to share his affliction. And it's like that's not good for the man to be alone. It is good to bring the woman, all right? Here's Paul, without their support, okay, I can. I can do all things, but it is good for their support. And uh, they're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, on behalf of this ministry that they sent to the Apostle Paul. All right, what we have here in verse 14, sharing with me in my affliction. We have a synchronized fellowship of affliction. The synchronized fellowship of Paul's afflictions. This is a marvelous text. And others, this is a marvelous text to remind ourselves that fellowship is more than just potluck dinners at church. Fellowship is more than chit-chat about the weather or politics or sports. Fellowship, synchronized fellowship of Paul's afflictions. When you see a sister that's struggling and you join in, that's fellowship. That's quinonia. That's coming alongside and being a partaker, a sharer in common with, koinoneo, in common with what your brother or your sister is going through. And so we have uh, the compound, not koinoneo, which we understand is, is, is the verb, but then soon koinoneo. The soon prefix is your synchronized prefix. You put it together with somebody else's suffering, somebody else's affliction. And so you become a participant. You're not stepping off and going, whoo, dodge that bullet. Wow, glad that's them and not me. It is you. Because all things belong to you. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. We have this, this we're all together in this body of Christ. And so if somebody else has an affliction, I'm a partaker of, of their affliction in the body of Christ. I should have that willingness. I should have that mindset. I should have that priority. And so we see it here. Soon quite now. It's only used three times. Twice it's translated participate in. Once it's translated, that's here, where it's translated share in. So sharing is a, is a participation, right? If I'm going to share uh, my cheesecake, well then you're going to participate in my cheesecake. And uh, you'll, you'll be eating your slice and I'll be eating my slice. And we're participating in the cheesecake. It's very hard for me to share, by the way. I'm usually selfish on uh, cheesecake issues. But afflictions, see, that we can share one with another. That uh, we, we um, not literally in most cases, but spiritually, the reality is we can share in these afflictions as we uh, pray with one another and love one another and, uh, and go through these things together. Uh, Ephesians 5.11 and Revelation 18.4 speak of participating in. 
And this is, uh, in fact, it's a negative in Ephesians 5 because God expects us to be walking in the light. We're, we're saved. And He didn't save us so we can participate with the crowd we used to run with as unbelievers. Remember that verse? Ephesians 5.11. And it's not to be legalists about it. It's not to be goody-two-shoes and, and uh, you know, legalists in any respect. It's just a recognition that we're saved now and we have a new walk. You were formerly darkness, now you're light in the Lord. Verse 7 says, do not be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Since this is who you are now in Christ, walk that way. The fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We're, we're children of light now, let's walk that way. Let's learn from the Word of God. It's not legalism. It's not judgmentalism. We're not condemning them for the way they walk. They're still in darkness. We want to give them the gospel and get them saved too. Then it says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And that's the very same verb we're looking at here this morning. Soon quinineo. Do not participate in it. Do not have synchronized fellowship with those that are walking in darkness. That's the old manner of life. You laid that aside. You've got a new manner of life now in Christ. Instead, even expose them. What does that mean? That means you let your light shine. Exposure comes through, through the light. Exposure comes as the light exposes. It doesn't mean that you're a, you know, you're a tattletale or you're uh, you know, writing letters and, and naming names and, <laughs> and uh, dropping the dime on different things. But, but you are living your life in such a way as your light shines. All things are uh, exposed by the light. It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Don't even talk about them. Don't think about them. The things that ought not be spoken. All things become visible when they're exposed by the light. Everything that becomes visible is light. Isn't that great? Here we have the Bible talking, what, thousands of years before uh, modern science came along and learned about the visible light spectrum and different things about light waves and, and how things can be seen. And here's, uh, here's the New Testament telling us about light. All right. So synchronized fellowship with Paul's afflictions. Revelation 18.4, the warning about eschatological Babylon. The warning that's going to come. Sometimes I wonder if this warning applies to us today. <laughs> oh, goodness. The more and more uh, the United States of America plunges into paganism, the more and more where states are sponsoring legal infanticide at birth and post-birth abortions, you just wonder how dark is our land becoming and uh, at what point do we have to come out from among them and be ye separate? And so in Revelation 18, um, verse 2, this angel cries out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven. I mean, that, now this is eschatological commercial Babylon we're talking about in the tribulation. 
doesn't have to be the United States, but if uh, the rapture comes today and the tribulation is closer than we think, then uh, very well could be a post-rapture pagan situation there. All right. So I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. If you stay there, you're counted as a participant. And most likely, if you stay there, you will be a participant. You will be functioning with them. You will be paying right alongside. You know, my tax dollars are funding their wickedness. And there it goes. So the admonition is, come out of her, my people. Now, I'm not telling my flock to emigrate out of the United States of America. I just think about it. <laughs> All right. I think about when will that day come? Where is there to go? What client nation is there with freedom and positive volition to teach the Word of God to grow in grace and knowledge uh, that's comparable? Nothing. Not on this planet. Not right here and right now. Possibly South Korea down the road. Possibly Ukraine down the road if they build a strong enough pivot there. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Cameroon. Perhaps it'll be Cameroon. Somebody responding to grace notes and becoming a, becoming a, a client nation in the future. I wouldn't mind Cameroon. i got friends in Cameroon. <laughs> Let's go there. But where are we going to go when it comes time to depart? When we realize that the people of God can no longer identify with a nation that's turned its back on God. All right, don't say we're there yet, but could that day come? Anyway, that you do not participate in her sins. So soon quenineu is a verb of participation. And uh, we do want to participate in one another's afflictions. If they're being afflicted, we participate in those afflictions by coming alongside in prayer and experiencing them ourselves, if nothing else, through identification and prayer. See, it doesn't mean that, you know, our sister uh, uh, Deb would just set a prayer item out about her shingles. So I don't, that doesn't mean I'm going to go and hope the shingles rub off on me. All right. But I still participate through identification, love, prayer, concern. We understand how this works in the spiritual dimension of the body of Christ. The synchronized fellowship of Paul's afflictions. And so when Philippi sent cash to Ephesus, when they sent cash to to the Apostle Paul, they were synchronizing in their fellowship with Paul's afflictions. They were identifying with his struggles. That's what we, we need to be so mindful of the reality behind what we're doing. When we're giving money to the church, it's not just like paying the cable bill or paying the taxes or paying some other thing. It's, not, it's more than just a financial expenditure. It's supposed to be a sweet-smelling savor before the Father's throne of grace. And that happens as we identify in the fellowship, as it says here, the synchronized fellowship of the afflictions. All right, more on this coming up on Wednesday. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that we will understand these things and be able to make the application we can immediately, Father. Uh, We can adjust our attitude immediately and we can start to adjust our uh, habits and and practices uh, in very short order, Father. And we want to. We want all that we do to be shaped by our convictions from the Word of God as, as your teaching takes hold. And Father, just thank you for your faithfulness to open our eyes to different matters at different times and different ways. Thank you for opening our eyes to your truth and how we can make the application. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.